less is more. No one said at the end of a pitch, I wish they talked more. So the more you say, <laughs> the less they hear. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. We are fortunate today to speak with Stephanie Palmer. Stephanie is a consultant, entrepreneur, and author. She is the founder of GoodInARoom.com, a consulting company and blog. She has also authored a book of the same name, Good in a Room. Stephanie seeks to help small business owners as well as writing professionals represent themselves and their ideas so they can grow their businesses and sell their work. Prior to establishing her company, Stephanie has worked at Jerry Bruckheimer Films and then later served as an executive at MGM. Some of the films she has worked on include Titanic, Armageddon, 21, Enemy of the State, Legally Blonde, Be Cool, and The Brothers Grimm. Stephanie has been named as one of the top 35 executives under 35 by The Hollywood Reporter. Stephanie, it is a pleasure to have you. The listeners want to become good in a room. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jared. All right, you know this is coming. What is the best concert that you have ever been to? The best concert I have ever been to was a jazz singer, Diane Reeves, when I was in college, and she sang in the small, round theater with a few seats, maybe 50 seats, and I happened to be volunteering as an usher. And it was the most intimate, incredible performance that it was as if, I mean, it was transcendent. I will start crying just remembering it. It was truly an incredible experience. And I never, never felt like I had been so close to someone who was just just such a pure, amazing artist. That's incredible. For those listeners who aren't familiar with her, could you point to maybe a song or something they could look up on YouTube to have a frame of reference? Uh, Endangered Species is one. If you just look up any Diane Reeves, Diane is D-I-N with two N's. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's incredible. And you mentioned you volunteered as an usher. Did you get to see any, any other performances as a volunteer? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. I'm sure that I did, actually, but those have all far faded into my memory. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing was on that that caliber. No, no. All right, fair enough. Okay, Stephanie, we're going to go into finish this sentence. I'm going to give you the beginning of a sentence. These are all softballs, but they're kind of fun. So the first one is, if you ever have 91 subscriptions to one email address and a 105 to another... I don't think I understand the question. You mean you have 95? Oh, you mean you have two different email addresses like I do? I have a zillion? Yes. Oh, I see. Oh, my gosh. Then this is my personal nightmare. So you did have this happen. You're going through your email list and you found one email address that had subscribed multiple times. Is that right? Well, one email address just had, you know, more than 100 different lists that I had participated in. And then on a separate email, I had almost 100 other subscriptions. And it was sort of shocking to realize how much marketing I had personally signed up for. But also so many of the things were interests that were long in the past. Or, you know, we all have things that we're interested in in the moment and you want to learn everything you possibly can. But then once you have, I didn't need to keep remaining on those lists. Death by email. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Next, finish the <laughs> sentence. My favorite thing about, I'm probably going to butcher this, is a NAMI at 10,000 waves mm-hmm. is... Is the mushroom appetizer. Unbelievable. Someone's been reading my Facebook post. My goodness, Jared, you're really digging into the details. I love it. It is amazing. I'm going there again on Saturday. It's date night with my husband tomorrow. As you should. Mm -hmm. Now, that's in Santa Fe. It is. So for those who haven't been to Santa Fe and they're not going to Los Pollos Hermanos, what's another good place to go besides Izanami? 
There are so many amazing restaurants here, actually. One of my other favorites is Jambo, which is Caribbean, North African cuisine. Incredible. Nice. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. All right. Duly noted. I'm putting that on my list when I come out to see you. Good. <laughs> okay. Of course, there's amazing, you know, New Mexican food, which you have to have here, too. But these are the more exotic also options. Well, what's the difference between New Mexican and Mexican? Oh, Jared, it's very different. <laughs> the main thing about New Mexican cuisine is that it is based on the chili and there's the chili plant, which you can get either green chili or red chili. And they're both made with the same chili, but it's just you either pick it when it's green or then it turns is on the plant longer. It turns red. And so if mm -hmm. you go to a New Mexican restaurant, you can order your enchilada or your burrito or whatever with either green chili, red chili, or if you want both, you say you want it Christmas. <laughs> then you get both green and nice. red chili on your plate. And that's really the difference. Uh -huh. Okay. Good to know. All right. The last finish this sentence. If you ever visit the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. <laughs> Go to the monkey house. Pinch your nose because it stinks, but it was incredible. <laughs> Outside of that, it's pretty good. Yes. All right. And it makes for good photos on social media <laughs> that people can stalk you and ask you questions about. All right. So, Stephanie, obviously, you've had a lot of really cool things happen, and you're up to some neat stuff. So, we're going to talk some about that. And let's start with what inspired you to build your own company? Well, I had worked at MGM and as a studio executive for a number of years, and I was getting frustrated with the types of movies that we were making. And I knew that there were better projects out there that just people had good ideas. They just weren't able to get through the antiquated system that is Hollywood to get those ideas produced. And so I had this one guy had come into my office and pitched a project, but he was so nervous and he had a, a really terrific idea and I wanted to buy it, but I knew that I couldn't put him in front of my boss because he was so anxious and just sweating bullets and talking way too much. So I just decided out of a moment of frustration saying, how could I get this project? How could we purchase this? So I decided, well, I'm just going to see if I can coach him and help him. And then maybe later he could come in and pitch to my boss. Well, he worked with me. He was totally open to that. He came in the next day, met my boss, did amazing, totally pitched the project beautifully. My boss bought it in the room. This was this guy whose name was Mike, his first screenplay sale. And later, Mike revealed to me that at that time, he was living on his brother's couch and he was getting ready to move back to the Midwest and have to move in with his parents because he'd basically used all every bit of his savings to move to Los Angeles and try and make it as a writer, but nothing was happening. And it really was because he wasn't good in a room. He wasn't able to present his ideas, even though he had superb ideas. And so from that, he ultimately got another film deal and now is a pretty big TV writer. So it was really wow. satisfying. And it was in that moment where I thought it was so exciting to really see the change in him. And I just thought, how could I make that experience be more of my day to day rather than supervising films, which was terrific, but not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. What kind of shift or adjustment did you go through during your transition from executive to entrepreneur? It was dramatic and shocking. There were so many changes, namely being that when you're an executive, a Hollywood executive, you get at least 250 phone calls a day, tons of email. Everyone wants to talk to you, get your attention. I had, you know, a lovely two assistants and basically an unlimited expense account. All of those things immediately went away upon becoming an entrepreneur, of course. And so it really was an adjustment from focusing on doing the best that I could to please my bosses and get movies made to really figuring out how I would structure my day, how I would get things done with being my own boss. And that was definitely a transition for me. Sure. 
Okay, so I've heard it said that if you want to make it in Hollywood, you have to know people, I'm using quotes here, and have, quote, inside connections. But that was not necessarily the case for you. You had zero Hollywood connections. How were you able to tap into an industry that's pretty difficult to penetrate? Well, I started as an unpaid intern, and I had tried to get various jobs. I interviewed for Nicolas Cage's company. I interviewed to be producer Jimmy Miller's third assistant. So that's doing the work that the first and second assistant don't want to do, and all were rejected. And then I threw a friend of mine from college who hired temporary assistants. She said that I could work. I could show up for a day working at Jerry Bruckheimer Films, but she would not be able to pay me. So I'd have to pretend that I would be a temp assistant and that we would pretend that we didn't know each other so that she wouldn't get in trouble if I didn't do a good job. And so that's what we did. And at the end of that day, I got asked to come back the next day. And then at the end of the second day, the president said he was going to fire his assistant and hire me. So it was super. Awesome. That played out well. So this may have been your first, but uh, one of your first jobs was an intern on the movie Titanic. And obviously that was a huge movie production. So what important lessons have you picked up from that internship that you've brought with you until now? I would say one thing is that I had the amazing opportunity of that internship was that I got to sit in the main production office where all the decisions were being made and got to see, you know, maybe I was sitting outside the door. I wasn't in the room with Jim Cameron and his producers while they were making the decisions, but often I was on the phone. I was able to overhear so many conversations of how the big decisions were being made and how people got the attention of the decision makers and who didn't. And so it was more that opportunity to sponge in that information and eavesdrop that was the best possible education. And then I carried that into when I was an assistant because there was a strange phenomenon in Hollywood, which still happens, which is that the assistants listen into every single phone call that the executives are on. So when I was an assistant, I got to hear exactly how every deal was made and how people were pitching all day long the very best projects. And the producers were pitching to movie stars to get them attached and pitching to financiers to get them to invest. And then I was able to use that education once I became an executive and use those techniques that worked over and over again. Okay, so let's go there just for a little bit. So you went from intern to executive for a major Hollywood company. What was that progression and what were some of the challenges that you encountered along the way? I started as the unpaid intern, then an assistant, then executive assistant, and then I got promoted to being the story editor at MGM. And that's like a junior level executive where suddenly I was, I had an assistant of my own instead of being an assistant. And I also was supervising the entire team of professional story analysts that are the readers of all of the 4,000 screenplays that get submitted to MGM each year. And interestingly, here I was the boss, but all of the readers were at least, I mean, many of them have children my age at that time. I mean, all of them had read for at least 20 years, so were much older than I was. So that was a transition to be a boss for a team of people who are much older and more experienced. But I loved that job. And then after being the story editor, then I moved up to being the director of creative affairs, which was just one of the six executives who decided all of the screenplays that we wanted to purchase, movies to produce for the entire MGM Pictures. All right. So writing requires creativity, but there are times when your mind gets blank and nothing comes out. That's not really unusual for writers. So what's the best advice you can give to deal with writer's block? I don't think of it as block as more incubation. 
that there are times where the brain is working, but maybe you're not actually physically typing on your computer or writing down. And oftentimes I like to think of what is the question that I'm trying to answer. And I just ask myself that question all throughout the day. I might write it down and keep looking at it. And it's amazing how if you go out and get exercise, you do something different, you do something artistic, you do something with your hands. You know, I might clean out a closet just because I'm stuck on something. And it's amazing how the body, the brain works together to help you solve the problem. Nice. We alluded to this earlier, but you're now residing in Santa Fe, New Mexico with your husband and son. Do you miss the Hollywood lifestyle at all? And what was it about the Hollywood scene that you missed the most? Well, I miss the pace. I love, and when I go back to Los Angeles, which I do every year, um, a few times a year, I love the pace of everybody is working really hard to succeed and trying to accomplish things. And that is really fun. And it's very busy and active and there's zillions of things to do at all times. So that's fun, at least for the stage of where I am in my life now that I love to visit, which Santa Fe is not like that as it is primarily a retirement destination um, and no one's trying to get anywhere ever. So it's such a dramatic contrast. But this is, I love the slower pace and the peacefulness that is here now. But it was fun to be working with incredibly creative, brilliant, amazing artists who are putting together these giant movies that, you know, millions of people get to see. It was really fun to be a part of that hub. So let's talk about some of the common mistakes that people make when they pitch. Talking too much, talking too quickly, and talking business too soon. So often when people get a pitch meeting or an opportunity to pitch, they just jump right in with their material. And you certainly know this, and many listeners do too, that really, especially at the beginning of the meeting, you want to take that few moments to build rapport and get to know the person before you jump into talking about business. I think you just said Starve the Doubts is good in a room. Absolutely. (laughs) Jared Easley is good in a room. That's my quote for you right now. No question. I'm going to use that as a testimonial. You've got it. Absolutely. All right. Let's just be in that scenario for a little bit. The decision maker asks a certain question and you don't know what the answer is. So how do you respond to that? Well, a simple answer is... Often at the beginning of a meeting, you'll be asked, would you like some water? What can I get you a cup of coffee? And I always say yes. So I recommend that you always take the water at the beginning of the meeting simply because it gives you a prop to have in the meeting. And so that if you lose your place, you aren't sure of an answer. No one thinks it's strange for you to just reach over, take a sip of water, put it down there. You've just bought yourself 15 seconds to clear your mind and figure out an answer. So that's my first very simple tip. No, that's good. Okay. Now, but I've also heard, Stephanie, that sometimes you don't take water, you don't take coffee if the other people in the meeting aren't taking it. So does that matter in your opinion? I still like it because I think that as a, I, maybe this is a, I don't know how I would describe it, but I like to open the room up for yes. And so I like to say yes. If someone's offering me water, I say yes. And as someone who has hosted thousands of meetings, there is that time where it's a little awkward right at the beginning of meeting when you're meeting someone for the first time. And I think saying yes gives the person who's hosting just that moment to collect themselves as well, get the water, talk to their assistant, get everyone situated. I find that always works. I think it's certainly if you're, say, at a dinner meeting and you're thinking, oh, well, should I get alcohol? Everybody else isn't getting alcohol. In that case, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't be like, oh, let's drink up. I'm the only one here. (laughs) You know, there are social settings like that where I think that matters more. 
there's some of the listeners right now just hit stop. They're like, I, I don't want to listen to that advice. <laughs> and shame and on feel them. Feel free to ignore. <laughs> you know, why not? <laughs> good call. All right, so let's talk about Good in a Room, your book, and what compelled you to write that, and then who's the ideal person that should be reading that, and what are some things that they're going to pull from the book? Well, the book is really written for anyone who pitches ideas. So if you are a business owner like you, if you are a teacher who has to get funding for a new project, um, a lot of people have used the book to get grants, to get promotions if they're working in a company and they want to be perceived as ready to get promoted. So a lot of people have used that. And that's been really neat to see and very satisfying. And the book came about, I had always wanted to write a book, but I didn't feel like I was ready or frankly that I knew how to write a book. But I was lucky because I was interviewed on National Public Radio. And after the interview, I got a call from this giant book agent who said, who I did not know, and said, Stephanie, you should write a book. If you write a book proposal, I think I'll be able to sell it. And I knew that this does not happen hardly ever at all. So I said, all right, I'm going to figure it out. And I immediately ran to Amazon and purchased the how to write a book proposal books that were available and (laughs) figured out how to do it and went to New York and it was a bidding war and it was terrific. I think there's a lesson there for the listener because I know I'm not a great writer. I wouldn't say I'm a great writer. And there are people who listen to this who have that dream in their heart, Stephanie, of writing that book. Uh They don't necessarily have all the answers on how to do that or how to work that out. So what encouragement do you have to that person? Well, personally, I can say that writing the book was a huge turning point for me and something that I will be proud of for the rest of my life. And not just that I'm proud of the book, of which I am, but more that I did it, that it was such a huge hurdle to turn from someone who I could write an email, I could write a paper, I'm a fine writer, but I never considered myself, oh, I'm going to write the next great American novel. But I worked at it and I really worked at it over 14 months and dedicated myself to learning how to write a book. And I grew so much through that process. So I really encourage anyone who is thinking about it when you have those doubts, I feel like it's the thinking, would there be someone who would benefit from this information? And if there is someone in the world who would benefit from the information and the expertise and the knowledge that you have, then I think it is your, it is a gift if you can share that with other people. Wow, that's well said. All right, so we're going to talk about writing, but it's a little bit different kind of writing. So how could somebody become a professional writer in Hollywood? Uh, What does it take to do that? And then also, what opportunities are you offering that maybe help that person? Sure. Well, to be a professional writer, the first thing is really the best thing that someone can do is to specialize in a particular genre. So either specializing in family comedy or specializing in writing dramas. So often people have a bunch of different ideas, you know, oh, I want to do this TV show and I want to do this film and one's much more serious and one's funny and one's an action movie. And it's kind of all over the place and it's much harder to get traction and for representatives like agents and managers to sell someone who has work all over the place, that it is so much better to specialize in one particular genre and either initially focus on TV or film because they really are separate businesses, even though many of the skills translate and people do move from one to the other. But the way they move is by being really good in one area, really being successful, and then they have the opportunity to move to another instead of trying to approach both of those fields at the same time. So if a a writer has a particular focus that they have become confident, as you said, really, really good at that, what would be the next step? The next step would be to find someone who, whether it would be a producer who has already produced material in that same genre or a manager, excuse me, 
who also represents clients in that same specific genre to get them on board and to partner with them to start getting their work out into the world and trying to sell it, assuming that that's the path that they want if they want to write for network or cable TV or to sell movies to studios. But there are also plenty of opportunities for people who want to produce their work independently. Do you have any creative examples on how the listeners could connect with powerful people and influencers? Well, one small tip is that if you are wanting to connect with someone who's a VIP or a celebrity, one thing that I have used in the past very successfully is to write a handwritten note to the person before an event where they are speaking. Like, for example, if I'm attending a conference and there's someone who I really want to meet, and I did this now many years ago with this TV producer who was speaking at a conference. And so I wrote him a note just saying, I'm real, you know, dear so-and-so, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you are going to say at this conference, you know, something nice about something I had read and look forward to seeing you, best Stephanie. And then at this conference where he was on a panel with other panelists right at the break, he held up my note and said, well, the person who wrote me this note, please come and find me. And from that experience, then I came up at intermission, got to meet him. He invited me to lunch after having lunch with him. Then he invited me to be on his TV show. And that was the beginning of all the TV (laughs) experience that I then ultimately had. Like if I hadn't had his TV show, then I never would have gotten on the Today Show and other TV experience. The power of the handwritten note. That little handwritten note. It is amazing how it stands out. It really does. Now, how did you find the mailing address? How did you get it to him? I am very good on the internet, Jared. If you give me a challenge, I mean, I will uncover that detail like you would not believe. <laughs> all right. So I'm a very good spy. It may be stalking, but that was part of being an executive is sure. that it is super competitive and that when someone has a really good idea, whether it's life story that you want to make into a movie or a magazine article, tracking down those rights and tracking down the person who owns the material can be highly competitive and fast paced. And I love that. And I found those people. No one else would, but I would track it down. Good for you. All right. And it sounds like you're not going to just throw out those secrets. <laughs> that's, that's quite a right. I'd be happy but to. It's, it's more, frankly, <laughs> I don't think that it's so much that I have skills that other people don't, but I just am extremely persistent and I'm not going to give up until I find the answer. Okay, so... And I'm not threatened by picking up the phone or... and calling whomever it is and finding out information. I will All call right, so whomever. You are relentless. So I you am. would find a phone number and say, I'm trying to send a thank you note to this person. Is that what you would say? Sure. In that case, let me think of that specific one. I mean, he was a famous person who had a TV show. So then I just called the TV station and said that I was going to be meeting him at this conference. And I just wanted to send him a note where it would be the right address. That one was super easy, Jared. There's plenty (laughs) more that are much harder than that. Like that right there was worth the interview. I hope people like perked up and wrote that down because that's such good advice. All right. So, Stephanie, uh, you've had a lot of wins, but, you know, it's going to happen eventually. It's part of life. Eventually, people run into rejections. You know, that's how it goes. So what's your best advice on dealing with rejections? Let me think if I can think of a specific example. Well, certainly rejection is so a part of Hollywood. I mean, it is hugely a part that even last night I was watching Larry King interview Bill Lawrence, who is a showrunner who is in charge of Cougar Town, Scrubs, Spin City, has two other shows on the air right now and one just Chasing Jack that just started. And he was saying that he feels like in the TV business that if you even get three out of 10, you're doing amazing. So I just sort of think of it as like a sports metaphor. You try and get as many at-bats as you can. And if you get three out of 10, that's amazing. Even one out of 10, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. 
All right. So as we start to wrap up here, Stephanie, who is doing something that interests you? Well, let me think. Well, I have to say, and this is nothing that plenty of your listeners don't know about. So I wish I had something that was really exciting and outside of the common. But I was just going to say that I listened to your interview of Seth Godin, who is so incredible. And he is just such an example of being true to your artistic self. And then amazing things happen. And I think that so much of people who have creative ideas, who want to write a book, who want to build a business, that they think about how can I make money with this or where is the audience? And they spend so much focus on building a business, but that the really incredible people and the really incredible businesses come out of that place of personal connection and personal focus. Well said. What is the best place for the listeners to learn more about your How to Be a Professional Writer in Hollywood course and stay connected with everything that you are doing online? Uh, Goodinaroom.com. And I offer a free ebook, How to Take a Hollywood Meeting, which is really about how to take Hollywood meetings, but also applies to people who are presenting themselves in meetings if you're a small business owner or individual as well. And they just go to goodinaroom.com and they can mm-hmm. sign download up for the free that. ebook right there. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Stephanie, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? My final piece of pitching advice would be less is more. No one said at the end of a pitch, I wish they talked more. So the more you say, (laughs) the less they hear. Very true. Stephanie, I really appreciate this. Best wishes to you and everything you're doing at Good in a Room. And of course, your husband and your son. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Jared. Well, certainly rejection is so a part of Hollywood. I mean, it is hugely a part that even last night I was watching Larry King interview Bill Lawrence, who is a showrunner who is in charge of Cougar Town, Scrubs, Spin City, has two other shows on the air right now, and one just Chasing Jack that just started. And he was saying that he feels like in the TV business that if you even get three out of 10, you're doing amazing. So I just sort of think of it as like a sports metaphor. You try and get as many at bath as you can. And if you get three out of 10, that's amazing. Even one out of 10, you're doing pretty well.